Well, good morning. How are you guys all doing today? Good, good. Hey, um, if you thought Carrie did a great job, would you give her another round of applause, please? Yeah. Let me go ahead and say a word of prayer before we dive into God's word this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much that we are being able to gather here in this space right now. That we come here with all of our burdens, we come here with all of our aches and pains. For some of us, maybe this was a great week. For others, maybe this was a hard week. But you brought us here together so that we can turn our focus upon Jesus. So we can hear your words of life. They might refresh our soul. And Father, I know that for what we're talking about today, that there are people in this room or watching online who need to hear this message who need to know that you love them, that you see them, that you want to be wrapping your arms around them, that you want to be the one that they can trust. And so, Father, we ask that right now as we dive into your word, that you might open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So my very first job right out of college was working basically as a receptionist at this behavioral health clinic. And I know I've told stories about this before, but here's my honest opinion. My very first few weeks there, I hated the job, right? And the reason being wasn't because of what the job was. It was because I had just graduated college with basically a triple major in arrogance, pride, and entitlement, okay? (laughs) And I thought this position was too low for me. Like, honestly, guys, I'm so grateful looking back that God did not allow me to become a pastor for several more years because I would have burned the first church to the ground with my arrogance, all right? Uh, Not to say that that isn't an issue still today. I still have the struggle with these things, but I look back with gratitude of God's grace and mercy over that season that he put me in a daily context in a room full of people who were hurting and just allow me to hear their stories and hear what is it like to walk a mile in their shoes. And I think that really helped in a lot of ways. But I worked side by side with this feisty, red-headed grandma who basically she reminded me of Medea in a lot of ways when she got going, um, which was about every day. So as long as you weren't the target of her anger, it was really fun to watch her just go at it. And she had this, basically this rule, that you were a good person or or a bad person, not based on what you did, not based on your history, not based on your beliefs or on anything. In her opinion, you were a good person or not based solely upon how reliable you were, right? For her, if you showed up on time, you completed your work when it was supposed to be completed, and you did not do anything to cause her to have more work, she thought you were great. In fact, you would think she thought you were the Messiah by how much she would just praise you to other people. But as soon as you made things difficult in her in any regard, in any way made her think that you were not reliable, oh, that's when Medea came out, okay, right? And she wasn't the only one. I found that the most of the people at the clinic, that was the basis of how they worked together. And you might think that's exactly how it is in my job, where things, you can be competent at your job, but if you're unreliable, people will get really frustrated with you. Which is why I've come to believe that one of the biggest stresses in a relationship revolves around someone's reliability. 
and you know this is true for you as well. Think about the products and brands that you buy. You do so because you find them reliable. It's the same way of why you get frustrated over customer service or dealing with an internet provider because you wanted something to be reliable and then it wasn't. Psychologists say that in every one of our human interactions, there are a number of underlying crippling questions that we're asking each other every single time we look someone in the eye and have a conversation about anything. That there are a number of these things that they're always taking place, that they have the way of influencing us every single day. And one of the biggest ones is that in every single human interaction we have, we are asking the question, can I rely on you? You did this when you came in here this morning. You did this even as I was coming up on stage. You do this on a daily basis in your family. Some of the reasons why you have the arguments that you have is because you thought someone was reliable on something and found out they weren't. Maybe some of the reasons why you even married the person that you married is because you found them reliable on some scale, whether that was emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, or maybe because it just reminds you of your parents, which is a real thing, okay? okay? That we find ourselves gravitating towards people that we find reliable. Because no one likes to be around people who are like, yeah, that person's flaky. We can't count on them. They're never going to show up, right? No one likes... So surround ourselves with that, right? And this is the same thing later on in your marriage, why you have certain trust issues or why you trust your spouse with certain things and not with other things. Like for instance, I know Jody does not trust me to keep up to date with the checkbook because in reality, I don't want to write down how many times I go to Taco Bell because it's a little embarrassing, okay? So she knows I can't be reliable in keeping up to date on the checkbook, so she does all that. And you do the same thing in your own marriage, that you have certain areas in your marriage where you might rely upon your spouse in some things, but not in other things. That maybe you rely upon them physically, but you don't rely upon them financially. We all do this. This is part of any relationship where we find areas of thinking, can I rely upon you in this particular area. So it makes no jump, no shock, that we do this exact same thing to God. In fact, I know this is true. It's difficult even, because you read the New Testament and you see Jesus who's constantly trying to urge people to see him as reliable with everything, every little aspect of our lives, and that's difficult, because we don't even do that to our spouses where there are areas where we think, man, I can't really rely on my spouse in this particular area. And Jesus is asking for trust in everything. And that's okay if you're sitting there thinking, Mason, I don't know if I can do that. There might be areas in my life, Mason, where I can see that God is reliable over here, but I don't think he's reliable in this over here. I mean, for some of you, this is why you're not even a Jesus follower, because you don't think Jesus is reliable in who he is and what he's done. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't think I can rely on God when it comes to my money, my parenting, my marriage, the baggage and scars of my past. I don't know if I can trust God with this. And maybe you even think, I have been down that road. I've tried to trust God with this. And then I hit a very difficult time in this. And that told me God wasn't worth trusting in this area over here. And if that's you, I'm not shaming you because we all have this. Every relationship goes through this process of testing, 
Can I rely upon you in different areas? And we are not the first to have our own areas in our lives where we question, is God reliable to us? In fact, let me tell you a story of a guy who had more reason than anyone else in all of human history to think that God was not reliable. You maybe have even heard of his name. His name is Abraham. Abraham's story was God was calling him to do something great, and he had more reason than anyone else to question if God was reliable. And to understand Abraham's story, you have to understand what comes before that. So Abraham's story begins at the very beginning of the Bible in a book called Genesis, which is all about how our world got the way it is. It talks about how God made this world beautiful and we messed up. And so now this is why we have everything from the reason why mosquitoes uh, are so annoying at this time of year to the reason why we have relationship problems. This is what Genesis is always talking about. Of This is what God intended, but here's where we got instead because of the mistakes that we have made. Now, even if you're like, man, I don't know if I believe in Genesis, I don't know if I can trust that book or follow it, or I, don't, I have questions even about the Bible. Look, let me go ahead and say this. that You have seen this dynamic in your own life where each one of us has our own experiences of taking something good and because of our own foolish decision-making, we have turned around and made a mess of something that's good. That's what Genesis is laying out in the first few chapters, where here is a God looking at his creation that was supposed to be good, and we made a mess of it. And so you come to chapter 12, and it's kind of this pivotal moment in all of human history where you see this God looking at his creation, and the question is, what is God going to do? Is he going to walk away from all the mess? Is he just going to wipe it clean and start over? Or is he going to roll up his sleeves and get to work fixing things? And the beautiful thing is, is that God decides that he is going to get involved fixing things, but he does it in a, a strange way. He's like, I'm going to start with one guy named Abraham, and I'm just going to ask this Abraham to trust me, to have a relationship with me, and that good things are coming. So he calls Abraham in chapter 12, and he says, Abraham, I, I want you to leave your country, leave everything you've ever known. I know you've never heard of me, you've never spoken to me, or anything like that, but I want you to trust me to leave it all behind, everything you know, because I've got something good for you. I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to give you a nation that's going to come from you. And then he gives this promise. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. It says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That phrase right there is probably just worth gold to some of you, right? God gives us blessings so that we might be turned around and be a blessing to others. So he's like, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's where we come involved in this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's plan is to take Abraham, who was childless, and he's like, I want you to leave everything you've ever known and trust me, I'm going to build a great nation of you. Now, here's the thing. You read Genesis 12, you don't hear Abraham's response. He doesn't say anything back to God. In fact, he just, it just says, and he obeyed, and he went and left. But I like to think, you know, knowing human nature, he probably went home and was like, honey, here's a box. This is how many shoes you can have. They go into this box. We're moving. God's got a plan. So go ahead and tell your mom and your sister, you're not going to see them again anymore. We don't have to deal with that passive aggressiveness. We're going. God's got something good for us. I, I don't know. But that's my own version. I think that's probably what the conversation But Sarah listens, and she and Abraham leave everything they've ever known, 
And they follow God with this hope and this vision, this excitement. God has spoken to them. They've never had any encounter with this creator, but he's spoken to them. He's given them this great promise. They're leaving everything behind. They're like, great things are in store. The grass is so green over there kind of mentality. And And then 10 years go by. 10 very long, very painful years by. They've had no kid. They have no land. They're living in tents out in the desert, falling around this promise that God has made for them. It would be completely reasonable for them to think, we've made a mistake trusting this God. We've made a mistake relying upon him. And I want you to understand how reasonable that is because At this point, there was no church, there was no Bible, there was no spiritual mentors they can go to, there was no one they can say, hey, let me hear your story about following God. They were the first. So it's perfectly reasonable for them to sit there and think, man, have I made a mistake? Like, can you imagine those nights where Abraham's probably late at night him and Sarah have been talking about the past 10 years. And that question is going through his mind. What I, was I wrong in what I heard? D- did I just mess up everything? Like I had a nice cushioned job. I would have inherited my father's business. I would have had this life over here, but I left it all behind to follow this promise of a God who no one has ever heard of before. And you get this feeling When you jump to chapter 15 of Genesis, when God speaks to Abraham after 10 long years, and I think God understood how Abraham must have been feeling. I think he understood that Abraham's probably at a moment where he's questioning, have I made a mistake? Because here's what God says to Abraham, chapter 15. He says, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So this is sort of God saying, Abraham, I know what you're going through. I know how you're feeling, but trust me, you're in the right direction. I know the past 10 years have been hell for you, and you're wondering, was this worth it? But I'm promising you, if you just stick with me, if you keep walking with me on this, great things are in store. It's not just a blessing for you. It's going to be a blessing for everyone. And then the very next sentence, Abraham speaks. And this is the very first time Abraham ever talks back to God, where he responds back to God. And it's crucial because it shows us his heart in this moment, where he looks at God in verse 2 and says, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. He's like, God, I, I went with you, I followed you, but this promise has not come to fruit. I don't see what you've been promising me, God. God, you said I was going to live to to grow a nation. I don't even have a son. I don't have a daughter or a son. I'm childless, Father. For 10 years we've been following you. God, you promised me a country, but I'm living in a tent. I have no land. God, you promised that through me the whole world's going to be blessed, but I don't certainly see that. People mock me when they hear, oh, you left everything to follow God. They think I'm crazy, God. Maybe you felt the same way. 
Maybe for some of you, you've been through that 10-year kind of journey. Maybe for some of you, you're in that state right now where you're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to follow God, but I'm kind of going through this 10-year phase of wondering when is God going to fulfill his end of the bargain? Because you're trying to follow whatever God has called you to do. You stepped out on some promise, but you haven't seen the fruit of it. So here's Abraham. He's like, God, I, I had questioning, is, is this worth it? Because he follows up in the next sentence, he says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's like, I'm going to die, and everything I own is basically going to the bank. I have nothing, God, but I I stepped out, and I tried to follow you, but you're not keeping your end of the bargain, God. Ever prayed a prayer like that? Where you're mad at God, thinking, oh, God, I, I tried to do what you wanted me to do, Why did it go this way? Why did that relationship fail? Why did that person walk away? Why did I lose my job, God? I'm I'm trying to follow you, and you say that there's good things in store, but I don't see it in the moments right now. What's beautiful is how God responds. He doesn't throw lightning bolts. He doesn't say, how dare you question me or anything like that. This is a gracious and merciful God who speaks so tenderly to Abraham. Verse 4, he says, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He's like, your stuff is not going to the bank. I gave you my word. This is what's going to happen. And he doubles down on the promise in the very next verse. He says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Think about this. This is a time before light pollution. So at night, imagine the stars in the sky. He's like, Abraham, look at those. And then he says, so shall your offspring be. It's like when you look at the night sign, you see all the stars all over the place. That's your proof. That's what's coming ahead of you. That's going to be all the people one day who are going to look back and say, man, we are blessed because of Abraham. And then God puts the basis for all this promise on who he is. Verse 7 reads, I am Yahweh who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, Ur of the Chaldeans doesn't really mean anything to us in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, but let me explain. Ur of the Chaldeans became a place that was later known as Babylon. But before that, it was known as a place as Babel, as in the Tower of Babel. So basically, here's what God's saying. I'm the one who called you out of a really bad place, a place that had no hope, no future, a place of rebellion. I have called you out of that. This is the God who is speaking to Abraham. He's the creator of all things, who makes these big promises, who calls people to leave behind their Babylons to trust him and to follow him. And this is what he's saying. He's like, man, if you do this, if you just keep with me, I promise you one day you will see it was worth it. And he doubles down once again on the promise. In fact, he he makes a covenant with Abraham to show I'm not going to break this covenant. And here's what he does. It's verse 10. This is going to sound really weird to us, but bear with me. Verse 10, it tells us, and he brought him all of these. Basically, he tells Abraham, gather up all these animals, and here's what I want you to do. Bring them in, and then he says, cut them in half and lay each half over against the other. So this sounds weird, but here's what this is. So Abraham's instructed by God to take a whole bunch of animals, split them in half, line them up 
so that way they're right across from each other and there's kind of like a hallway in between the two. And this was an ancient form of making a promise. So how it would work is someone would set the stage. They'd make this long pathway where there's a bloody carcass on each side split in half and someone would stand on one end, they would make a promise and then they would walk through the pathway to the other end. It was basically their way of saying, if I don't fulfill what I'm saying, I'm giving you permission to rip me in half. It was the strongest way of making a promise. So God sets the scene. He's like, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. He sets the scene, and then he makes this promise yet again to Abraham. He's like, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you a son. This son's going to have children. That chil- those children will have more children. Eventually, you guys are going to reproduce like bunnies. You're going to be a nation one day. This nation is going to be my people who I'm going to rescue, my people who are going to be used to fix this world one day. And this is what I'm asking you to do. You just trust me because your name will be great. You will be a blessing to all the nations, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm making this promise, and if I can't keep my word, I'm giving you permission to kill me. That is what God is saying in this moment. So right after this, we read that this happens in verse 17. Now when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. These things are representing God's presence. So the, the author of Genesis is making a very big point to us that when God makes a promise, God puts his very self on the line to keep his promises. That he's saying, I cannot break it and still be God when I make promises. That's this creator. And he's telling Abraham, he's like, this is what I'm promising that if I don't keep my word, I will cease to be the master of the universe. And Abraham's response to this is so, so crucial for us to understand. Living in our context, asking what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? Because what he does next comes 500 years before the Ten Commandments. It comes 2,000 years before Jesus, 2,500 years before the Bible is compiled together in the format that we know it is. But what he does sets the stage for what it means to have a relationship with his God. Where God makes a promise, God says he's going to do all the work. Here is what is asked of you and I, of what it means to have a relationship with God. Here's what happens. We're told this, going back to verse 6, that he, Abraham, believed Yahweh. This is crucial. Abraham had faith. Not faith that things would get better. Not faith that one day he would succeed. Not faith that one day things will turn around for him. Not blind optimism. He didn't have faith in an institution or an organization or a system or a plan or anything like that. Abraham had faith in a person he found reliable. And that person was God. This is what having a relationship with God is all about. It's not about being a good person. It's not about church going. It's not about you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be good. That's not what having a relationship with God is. A relationship with God that we see in Scripture is all about trusting God and his promises that he has done what he has said he has done. He will do what he says he will do. And we are trusting that he is reliable in what he says. That's what having a relationship with God is all about. Not that you and I have to be perfect because we're not. And it's not that we'll never make a mistake again because that's not true, we will. In fact, you read Abraham's story, Abraham is a coward. 
He was, went around telling people his wife was his sister because he married a woman who was far too hot for him and he was afraid people would kill him to have his wife, right? He does this multiple times and then his kids do the same thing. I almost fell right there, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, so this is a guy who's not perfect. But he had this moment when God lays out his promises. And he looks and he says, God, you are reliable. And here is what God did in response. Abraham believed Yahweh. And the next phrase says, and he, Yahweh, counted it to him as righteousness. Meaning that God declared Abraham to be in a right standing with him. Not because he jumped through enough hoops. Not because he did enough good things. But because at the end of the day, he stopped and he said, I think God is reliable in keeping his promises to me. That was the basis. That was the standing. And I'm going to say that again because I know there are some of you in this room, maybe, maybe you feel like you're trying to earn this. Maybe you're trying to do different things because we live in a world, honestly, where we feel like we're constantly having to earn people's loves. Maybe for you is your father, your mother, maybe your spouse, maybe an ex-spouse, maybe someone who's like, man, this is what you have to do to earn my love. That's not our creator. Jesus Christ is different. He offers us love freely and then invites us to come and be part of his family to trust that he measured up on our behalf, that he did what was needed to be done. In fact, when you jump generations later and you read the writings of Paul, he writes in the book, called Romans, where he's writing to Jesus' followers, and he's talking about this very story about Abraham. And here's where he said about his commentary about Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, it said, he says that no unbelief made him, talking about Abraham, made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he's basically saying this is how Abraham went from here on out. Not that he was a perfect person, but that he kept going back to this promise. Every time he thought about quitting, every time he thought about turning around and going back home, every time he thought about throwing in the towel, every time he thought, man, this God can't be reliable, he followed up by saying, but God has made me a promise. And I'm going to trust what he says. Just like Kira was singing a minute ago. In our world, we might think one thing, but we're going to trust what God says is the real truth here. And that's what Abraham did. It said that he was convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And now here's where it gets really cool. Here's where you and I come involved. And this is really awesome. It gets me excited. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Meaning, Abraham didn't need to see these words written down. These words were written down long after Abraham came around. They were written down, as Paul says, but for ours also. Meaning, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What Paul is saying is Abraham's promise was great. Our promise in Jesus is so much greater. Because Jesus has fulfilled the promises of Abraham, and he offers us a greater promise in him. And how we are in relationship with him is by trust in this Jesus, that he measured up on our behalf, and we're following him. This is what is so good about what Paul is saying. He's like, look at Abraham. He is the template for what greater thing is taking place for us today. And what he means by this is that to be a follower of Jesus means you find Jesus reliable to keep his promises because that's who this God is. 
Yes, Abraham, he continued to make mistakes, but you know what? God was still reliable to him. And we know that because you know the story of Abraham before I even told you about it this morning. You probably have heard of Abraham, which is a sign that, you know what? God fulfilled his promises, that he made his name great, because one day Abraham did have a child. And that child had more children. And those children had more children. And they became this nation known as Israel where God was constantly with them, he was guiding them, and one day out of Israel, the Messiah came, Jesus Christ, who made a way for all of us to now be God's people by faith and trust in him. This is the God we are worshiping, friends. We are worshiping the exact same God that Abraham was worshiping, but we have more cause to find him reliable than Abraham. Abraham had nothing. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have any spiritual mentors. He didn't have a church. He just had this single encounter with God, this promise. But you and I have the stories of how God was reliable to Abraham, how he was reliable to Joshua, and how he was reliable to Moses and to Samuel and to David and Solomon and Jeremiah and Isaiah and then eventually Jesus and then John and then James and Peter and Paul. And then there's us. We stand on the shoulders of those before us who found God to be reliable in his promises. And one day, Lord willing, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will be able to point to our stories and be able to say, I know God is reliable because of what he did with my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents when they chose to trust him. When they chose to see that Jesus was reliable. See, this is what Abraham's story is teaching us, my friends. The life-changing truth that God's faithfulness in the past is the basis for our trust in him today. God's faithfulness in the past is our basis for our trust in him today. So this is why we can trust God with our problems. This is why we can trust God with the baggage we carry. This is why we can trust God in our relationships, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our finances. Because even when today might not look the way you want it to look, even when today doesn't look like the promise is fulfilled, this is a God who says that he loves us. And that he wants to be there for us. That he sees us. That he hasn't walked away from us. This is the God we worship. And I say this because here's a fact about every single one of us in this room we're watching online. Every single one of us is going through something. Every single one of us is going through something. It could be something big, the feeling like your family is just falling apart. Those moments where you stop and you think, how did we get here? What wrong steps did we take to, to get to this point? It could be in smaller things, just in every little de details, maybe about your job. And you're like, man, how did that happen today at work? Every single one of us is going through something, which means every single one of us have the temptation to think that God is not reliable in what you're going through. But if God showed himself reliable to Abraham, who had more reason than any of us to 
to doubt that God was reliable. And he chose to trust in God's promises. And God worked through that. Then we who hold a greater promise than Abraham, founded in Jesus Christ as our Messiah and King, and we have more ample evidence to say that this God can be trusted with everything, is the confidence we go back to when times are hard. It's the confidence we go back to when we're thinking and thinking, God, I've stepped out following you. I'm trying to follow your ways. And you say that your ways are better than my ways. And so I'm trying to follow you. And I see how this is not a good season. It seems to be creating in the moment. I'm going to keep going this way because I'm trusting that you say that this is worth it in the end. That other people might be blessed through this. That you're going to get me through this because you got Abraham through it, you got David through it, you got Moses through it, you got Solomon through it, you got all these other people through it, and then there's Jesus. And man, man, we've got a greater promise in Jesus. And he says that he walks with us. He says he never is going to leave us. He said he is there with us through the thick and the thin. He says he's there with us in the terrible moments, weaving with us, and he's there in the celebrations. So that's what I'm going to trust. And I'm going to rely upon him because I know, Jesus, you were faithful in the past. So I know you can be faithful today. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means at the end of the day, you are relying not upon yourself, not upon anyone else. You are relying first and foremost upon Jesus. Because he is worth trusting. Won't you pray with me? Jesus, I know I'm one of those who need to hear this message. Because I have my own moments of wondering, man, God, what are you doing in this, this season? Or, God, this is hard. I don't understand. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to do what you say. But then this occurs over here. God, those moments are hard. And I know everyone in this room, we've all experienced them. There are many people in this room who are experiencing them right now, who are going through things that maybe no one else around them knows about. But at the end of the day, they're left with their thoughts and they're wondering, man, how did we get here? Or God, what are you doing with all this? You don't lay it all out for us. You don't say, here's what's going to happen step by step. But you just ask us to trust you. And there's a great amount of grace and mercy in that, Father. You don't trust us with all the details. You ask us to trust you as a person. And so whatever the season may come, then that's what gives us the confidence to say that it is well with our souls. When it feels like the boat is rocking, when it feels like it's falling apart, when it feels like, man, we've had to take some decisions, we've had to leave some things behind, those are the moments where we can still stop and say, it is well with my soul because we know we don't walk this road alone. But that you are faithful to be with us. You are someone who has proven time and time again our own lives and the lives of so many who have gone before us, that you are reliable. And Father, what a joy it is to know that if we keep down this path, not only will we see eventually your promise fulfilled, 
but others will be able to look back at us and use us as an example that you are reliable. Father, what a great joy that is. And so I'm asking right now for those hearts that are hurting, that are broken, those who are going through that 10-year time frame of just waiting, that you might open our lips right now. You might move in our midst of the Holy Spirit so that when we sing these words and we declare, oh, it is well with our souls, we are meaning it because we know you are the caretaker of our souls. That you're going to see us through. It's in your name I pray.